his amazing love. Um, just, I have some good news for our, our children in that um, our older children's church is going to restart in a couple weeks. Uh, Sherry Sullivan told me, I think it's September 12th, that it, that it starts back up. So that'll, if you're uh, interested in doing that, uh, I'm not sure how old it goes, uh, maybe fifth grade or something like that, maybe the year 25, I, I don't know, but somewhere in there. And, uh, but I just want to tell you too, uh, that doesn't mean that children have to go to that. Children are welcome to stay here um, all the time. It, we're, you're welcome either way. Uh, up to your parents. So, well, with uh, with fervent desire, I have desired to begin this book of Romans uh, with you, and we we come to Romans chapter one now. If you would turn to that great book, and thank you for the lights, Greg. You might notice in your outline today, I have uh, um, printed the first four verses of Romans 1. I'd, I'd like for us to, to use the outline to begin with, just to read through that together. And then I invite you to, to look at your, your own uh, copy of the Word of God, whatever translation you might have. But, but at least to start with, for the first four verses, I want to be on the same page and read these things together I'll explain why there's a translational difference later and, and why it's good to to see it this way but if you just uh, kind of follow along with me these first four verses in the outline Paul a bond servant of Christ Jesus called as an apostle set apart for the gospel of God which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures Concerning his son, who is born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who is declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. Fathers, we come to this precious part of Scripture, this beginning of the, the wonderful book of Romans. We ask that you would grant us by your Holy Spirit understanding of this text not only to know what it says and means but to know in our own individual lives Lord what you what you mean it for us this day in Jesus name we pray amen and so Paul introduces the this epistle to the Romans. He had never been to that church, uh, one of the few churches he hadn't founded. Uh, it was well established by the time he, he wrote to it uh, from Corinth in about 57 or 58 AD. He evidently knew some of the people there because at the end of Romans, he, he has a whole list of people that he'd like to greet by name who are there. So he has at least some relationship with with a number of the people who are there but he didn't start the church and had never been there though he had yearned to be there in a, in a couple weeks we're going to see Paul's talking about how he wants to be there and, and why but uh, even though he hadn't been there he still felt this 
uh, desire from God to write this book and so the Holy Spirit instructs him in these 16 wonderful chapters of a, a presentation to the church at Rome the first thing that he says in his introductory comments is that the, the message of the gospel calls for service and he, he speaks of himself in this way in verse 1 Paul, a bond servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. He's a, a bond servant for Christ Jesus. Notice that this is Paul's first description of himself. This is his beginning point. This is his declaration of his relationship between him and his Lord. Paul. And the first thing I want you to know about me is I'm a bondservant of Christ Jesus. What's the first thing you want people to know about you? What, what do you want them to know right off the bat? This is true about this person. We just had school start back up. Perhaps you wore your colors to school the first day whatever that might mean for you representing something what did you want them to know about you when you meet your neighbors for the first time what do you want them to know if you start a new work assignment what do you, what do you want them to know the first thing you want them to know about you for Paul I'm a bond servant of Christ Jesus he's a servant it would be it would be great one day to hear the Lord say well done good and faithful servant that's what I usually say when someone invites me over to a cookout at, at their home how do you want your yours cooked Gary well done good and faithful servant <laughs> but that's not what that means in the way Jesus was using it but well done can you imagine coming before the Lord of glory him actually saying that well done good and faithful servant well we'll never hear that first part well done unless we live the last part good and faithful servant Paul is a self-declared servant a bond servant it's a, the common word doulos for slave it's a, a lowly title hard to get much lower than a doulos a bond servant a slave he chose a lowly title but there was for him no higher calling a servant of God Most High. It's interesting also that Paul was a, a part of a privileged minority of his day in that he was a Roman citizen. Very few actually had that privilege. He was a, he was a free man and a citizen of Rome. He would play that card later and and it got him a free trip to Rome on a jailboat. But, um, but 
here's Paul is writing to the church at Rome and you might expect him to say I just want you to know that I can identify with you in one way that uh, I am a citizen of Rome there are probably many in the church there who were not citizens of Rome but he hasn't mentioned that at all in this letter that's not important to him you know what's important I am a bondservant of Christ Jesus what's important to you it's also a reminder from the very beginning that this epistle this, this letter is not about Paul Paul is writing a personal letter to the church at Rome whom he loves having never been there but it's not personal it's not, this is not a, an autobiography of Paul this is Paul saying this is about the gospel this is about God Paul a bond servant of Christ Jesus called an apostle the word apostle just means one who is sent out in the book of Jude that we've been uh, studying one of the classes in the ABF uh, we've been talking about apostates apo state uh, away from someone who takes a stand away from the truth apostate and the apostello is one who's sent away from away from apo, apo sent away from usually in terms of uh, like a messenger is sent away to, uh, on a commission go deliver this message or it's in a similar way like an ambassador is sent to represent someone though Paul doesn't use the word ambassador here he does in uh, 2 Corinthians 5 of, of himself and us but he uses this word apostle he's a, he's a sent one from Jesus Christ in the New Testament use of this word apostle it refers uh, technically to a group of, of men who had seen the risen Lord and had been set sent specifically by him on a commission uh, for Paul that, that happened in Acts chapter 9 which we won't take time we don't have time to look at that this morning but if you just want to note that to look up his story of how he became an apostle Acts 9 Paul was called to this apostleship he, he was called to be an apostle it, this was not a self appointed position he had received a commission. It's interesting also that in the, the order of which he mentions things, he mentioned his apostleship only after he declares his servitude. In other words, the only reason he has any authority at all is because he is a slave. As contradictory as those terms might seem to us, the only reason Paul has authority as an apostle is because he is first a slave of Christ Jesus and all his authority is bound up in Christ alone he was a willing slave of Christ Jesus how great you are from heaven's view is not measured in how many people serve you but how you serve many people. 
Paul said, I'm a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, <clears throat> separated, set apart for the gospel of God. Paul's life and mission and heart were, were to be separated, to, to be set apart for one thing, and that is the gospel of God. What does it mean to be separated? What does it mean to be set apart? In your home, you likely have, have dishes that are, that are set apart for maybe special seasons, like these are your Christmas dishes, or uh, maybe for special occasions when uh, you have certain special guests come over. These are the guest dishes, you know, the fine stuff. And, uh, and so you know that the kids learn that the coffee pot is set aside for a certain task it is not meant to mix your Kool-Aid in and our home I've learned that Sherry's mother's China gravy boat is not intended to warm chocolate syrup in it wasn't it's set apart for a different reason not chocolate syrup uh, so we, we understand the idea of something being set apart as special Paul is saying he was set apart for this particular task the purpose is the theme of this book it is the gospel of God set apart for the gospel of God look also at verse 9 for God whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his son this not only the gospel of God it is of course the gospel of Christ and those are not two separate things they're, they're the same thing just worded differently so when was Paul uh, set aside for the gospel of God we might automatically think Acts chapter 9 which is where I told you he was called to be an apostle but let's go to Titus chapter 1 Titus is with all the T books 1st and 2nd Thessalonians 1st and 2nd Timothy then Titus Okay, Titus, start uh, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth which is according to godliness, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago or literally before time began before times eternal is how it reads in the Greek but it's your translation probably says something like before the beginning of time or before time began and that's the idea that the, the gospel which he was set apart for God promised before the beginning of time 
This is a, a reminder that this gospel is not some plan B. This is, this is from the beginning. And Paul is set apart for it. Um, Galatians chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. Galatians 1, 15 and 16. Uh, Paul is here giving uh, part of his personal testimony of when he, he came to Christ and notice what he mentions here in Galatians 1, 15 says, but when God who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles and so forth. But the setting apart, that phrase, look at verse 15. He set me apart when? From my mother's womb. Oh, let's go back to Romans chapter 1. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart from my mother's womb by God for the sake of the gospel of God. Now, the message of the gospel, he says in verse 2, was, was promised. which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Um, the message of the gospel was promised. It was promised beforehand. And this is really where I meant to have you turn to Titus chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 that we already looked at. Uh, that's the verse that really connects with this one. It was promised beforehand, in fact, from before time began. It was promised through the prophets, which is, which I take to be a general reference to the Old Testament. And you might recall passages like the end of Luke 24, where, where Jesus, after his resurrection, was talking to his disciples and opened their eyes to, to understand the things of the Old Testament, of the, the law and the prophets, that they all talked about him. They were, and Paul is saying that. Uh, it's, it's promised through his prophets, through the Old Testament. In fact, uh, Paul cites 61 Old Testament references in this book of Romans. So it's uh, heavily steeped in Old Testament prophecy being fulfilled in numerous ways in the gospel of Christ. It was promised uh, third in the Holy Scriptures. Now, it might seem at first to be like a redundant statement. He, he, uh, he promised it beforehand through the prophets and through the Holy Scriptures, but it's, there's something particular I think Paul is getting at here by bringing up the Holy Scriptures. It was probably 
uh, in making a distinction between what most Jews of the days followed for their religious guidance, which was, was the rabbinical writings and laws and regulations, uh, making a distinction between what most Jews would have in their daily life followed, those things, the rabbinical writings, and the holy scriptures, the, the distinction between what man was saying and what God was saying in the Holy Scriptures. And remember, remember how Jesus even chastised the Pharisees. You are in error not knowing the Holy Scriptures nor the power of God. They were weak in the Scriptures. And Paul is making the case that I'm not going to refer to the rabbinical writings. This is based on the Holy Scriptures. This is what God says. And uh, third, verses three and four, the message of the gospel is Christ. Now, <clears throat> this is where we need to talk for just a moment about some translation differences. Um, this morning I'm using the New American Standard and it reads like this. Concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh. Now you may have a translation that says, Concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. If you jump down to the ver verse 4, the end of verse 4, that's where my version has it, Jesus Christ our Lord at the end. So it says, Concerning his son at the beginning of verse 3, Jesus Christ our Lord at the end of verse 4 now there are a couple of translations that have moved that phrase from the end of verse 4 which is where it is in the, in the Greek text it's, it's not even a variant it's all the Greek texts have it at the end of verse 4 but I think some have moved it to the near the beginning of verse 3 because it makes more sense Grammatically, from an English speaking point of view, to say it this way concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was, you see, it, it puts it together in a, in a better, understandable way in English to move it there. But I still prefer the, uh, the translations that keep it as it should be at the end. There's a reason for that. And um, so just to let you know, it, it's not leaving out that phrase. It's, it, it adds it, I mean, it has it in, but it just comes at a different spot. And we'll talk about why, at least why I think it's important later. Okay, now let's get to the, the verse 3 itself. Concerning his son who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh. It's talking about the son of of David you may recall that uh, the son of man was Jesus's favorite uh, self-designation in, in most of the gospel accounts when Jesus referred to himself he, he referred to the son of man yes he was son of God too and he used that term when, when it was appropriate but most of the time he called himself the son of, of man and he is particularly pointed out to be 
the son of David. The, the emphasis here is not just that he is son of man, but particularly that as son of man, he was a descendant of David. He was son of David. The emphasis is on the fulfillment of prophecy concerning the Davidic kingdom. That, that a descendant of King David would one day arise who would sit on his throne forever. 2 Samuel 7, 12 says, uh, God speaking to David says, when your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you, you will uh, who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever your throne shall be established forever. So the big question in Israel was, when is this king of the son of David going to arise? And they kept track of who had a lineage back to David. And of course, you know, in, in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, the genealogy of Jesus is traced back through both Mary and Joseph back to David through different lines back to David one a physical line from Mary and one a the legal line through Joseph but both back to David and Jesus is son of David the, the promised Messiah who would sit on the throne and, and God was, would establish his kingdom so the contrast being or comparison being made between verse 3 and verse 4 is not as a, as a comparison between just human and divine. It's, it's not just son of man, son of God. It's not just a comparison between physical and spiritual. And yet that's how most people take it, that that's what's being said here. It's those kind of comparisons. But that misses the, the main point, the emphasis that Paul is making here. The, Paul is talking about something of continuity of this person, Jesus Christ, who is uh, the king who is now taking his throne, the promised king of old, the son of David, who is now Lord of all. So concerning his son who was born a descendant of David according to the flesh, this is the promised king, now verse 4, who has declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. He's not only the son of David, the messianic king, he is the son of God with power. Now, it's a curious wording here, the Son of God with power. The qu question naturally arises, does with power suggest that there was a time when the Son of God was without power or with less power? And I believe it does, that it is referring back to the incarnation an echo of verse 3 the son of David came in the weakness of flesh and you remember Philippians chapter 2 that God put on flesh he humbled himself the second person of the trinity 
put on flesh, humbled himself, came in the likeness of men, was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And while he walked on this earth, did he have power? We see flashes of it here and there. Tremendous miracle-working power. But Jesus himself said, I only do the things that the Father shows me to do. I only say the thing that the Father tells me to say. In and of himself, being God, he could have done whatever he wanted. So it's not in any way saying we are limiting who he is, but he was self-limiting in his humility. But now he is being declared the Son of God with dynamite, literally. The Son of God with power, who has humbled himself and given himself up to death on the cross, and God has therefore highly exalted him and given him the powerful name above every name that, that the name Jesus. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess that he is what? Lord powerful name of Jesus and so Paul says by virtue of the not only the death but the resurrection he is the powerful son of God he is a son of God literally in power with power by the resurrection Now, in order to help understand this, there's, a, there's another word just to, to look at for a moment. That's the word declared. Every translation translates this word declared. Who was declared, verse 4, right? Who was declared. That word, everywhere else is used in the Greek Bible or in New Testament times is translated appointed every place except here and I think it's because when the translators got to this I was surprised even the ESV translates it declared I think when the translators got to this point to, to translate it exactly would cause confusion and, and I believe that's right because if you read it uh, literally, it says, who was appointed the Son of God with power by the resurrection. What does it mean he was appointed? You see, it, it brings up a theological problem here, and it would take a footnote, you know, it would take up these many pages. <laughs> well, this is what that, that means. And so I'm going to hopefully cut to the chase with it. I, I just want to be honest with what the text says and say that really there's a, there's a perfectly valid reason for the Holy Spirit directing Paul to use this word horizo appointed right here word horizo is familiar to you time like horizontal or horizon horizo horizon the horizon is where where you look off into the distance where the earth and sky meet and there's that fixed boundary you know that the 
Earth and sky aren't joined together there as if they're one any more than they are here, but when you look out into the horizon, you are absolved, my brother. <laughs> when, <laughs> when you look out into the horizon, that's a, that's a, a set boundary. The word came to mean uh, some kind of a, a marked off area a designated area a set boundary and it's in that kind of the fifth sense of the word that it could be meant as declared but really what it, what it means here literally is that, that the sun is set apart as in this unique situation he is the one and he is the only one who is set apart in this way who is marked out who, is, who could fill this appointment, the Son of God in power, and it's by the resurrection. He is, he is established. I, I got a great deal of help from one particular commentator, H.C.G. Mule, who, who likened this to, uh, if you think about when a, uh, a baby is born to the king and queen, they have no other offspring and the, this baby boy is the, is the heir apparent, right? He's, he's the prince. He one day will be king. He is their son and, and he is appointed to kingship. But when he takes over that rulership, that kingship is his day of coronation. That's when he is appointed king. Now the day before, he wasn't any different in his being. He was still the, the king's son. But the day of his coronation, he, he is appointed to that spot. And what Paul is saying here is that there was an event which, which marked out, set apart the kingship the lordship of Christ over all things that he would be appointed to this declared to all people everywhere forever and the coronation day is resurrection so that's what he's saying here look at verse 4 was appointed set out apart for this the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead the resurrection is his coronation. Now look at Acts chapter 2, verses 29 through 36. Acts 2, starting at verse 29. This is the day of Pentecost. <clears throat> and uh, the apostle Peter giving his first sermon will pick up toward the end of his sermon at verse 29 brethren I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that, both, that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day I, I can confidently tell you that 
I can guarantee you David, the great king David, died. And he was buried, and guess what? He's still buried. Now, notice interestingly the connection of verse 3 and 4 of Romans 1. Jesus, son of David. I can tell you that David is dead and buried, and he's still there. His tomb is with us. Uh, David's not, David's long gone to glory, but verse 30, and so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, that's 2 Samuel 7, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus, God raised up again to which we are all witnesses therefore having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit he has poured forth this which you both see and hear for it was not David who ascended into heaven but he himself says the Lord said to my Lord sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet until your coronation day therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ this Jesus whom you crucified let everybody know that God has made him both Lord and Christ. Wasn't he Lord and Christ before? Yes, from all eternity past. But it's the same idea here as in Romans chapter one, verse four, that the resurrection, by the resurrection, God has openly displayed him as Lord and Messiah Christ. Now, uh, notice just in passing verse 33 therefore having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit he has poured forth this which you both see and hear now go back to Romans 1 because that's a, another connection here to verse 4 who has declared who, who was declared or appointed the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness now um, that's the only place in the New Testament that phrase the spirit of holiness is used but most likely it refers to the Holy Spirit I think in keeping with Acts 2.33 and other passages that's the best way to, to take this he's referring to the Holy Spirit here according to the spirit of holiness is the Holy Spirit now moving on to, just to our concluding point here is concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord now we have as bookmarks of this great passage of verse 3 and 4 these two terms beginning of verse 3 concerning his son the last of verse 4 Jesus Christ our Lord and as I said there's some translations that put those together and with good reason concerning 
his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that's the point we want to end on because this is the gospel. It is concerning his son. What is the gospel about? Is it, is the gospel about people getting saved? Is it about people, is it about salvation? Is, is the gospel about heaven compared to hell? I was uh, listening to uh, John Piper uh, and this is a story that he's used a couple of times, but he's he's talking about his uh, his granddaughter was on a flight to I think it was to London with his daughter-in-law to a funeral of her the grandmother on the other side, and and a five-year-old daughter on a plane they're getting ready to land in in London as as they're coming in they're just above this beautiful cloud formation and the little girl's mom points out the window and says look how beautiful that is that's that's what I imagine heaven is like can you picture that as heaven and the little girl says looks out the window and says "But, but Jesus isn't there And Piper then goes on to ask, would it be heaven to you if Jesus wasn't there? I mean, if you could have, you know, no more suffering, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more problems, no more debt, no more any of that stuff, it's, it's all good. It's all good. But Jesus wasn't there would it be heaven you see I I think what we have done is we have mixed up God's gifts and loved them more than the giver We, we want salvation yes we want heaven not hell yes is the gospel about the a better life now? Or is it about something else? Paul says it's it's about God concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And yes, the other things are gifts from God. They're good things. Salvation. Praise God, heaven can't wait. An abundant life now, thank you, Lord. But none of those equals to God. None of those compare to the presence of the Savior himself. Psalm 73, one of my favorite places of the Bible, Psalm 73, 25, and 26 I memorized verse 26 when I was near death 10 years ago. My heart was failing. Doctors had given up. And and, and I only had a short time to live. And God, by his mercy, sent a 
surgeon to our area who called me at night and said, there's a new procedure been experimenting on. I think I can do something. And he drilled 19 holes through my heart and with a laser. And, it, and it's a miracle what God did through that. But I memorized Psalm 73, 26, that God is, uh, my, my strength in my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. But as I was focusing on that verse, the verse before, it caught my attention and convicted me to the core because 73, Psalm 73, 25 says, who do I have in heaven but you? And there is nothing on this earth I desire besides you. Can you say that? There is nothing, there's nobody, none in heaven but you. Well, my, my mom's there. I have some loved ones there, some dear friends who are there. But they matter nothing compared to the Lord. And there is, there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. The Hebrew word for beside there means along next to. That is, if you put two things side by side, it's not that there can't be things you enjoy life there's a lot of things God has given us to enjoy but he's our highest joy and, and, and if you put them next to him say do you, you enjoy this or, or Jesus which one would you choose and David is saying there is nothing on earth I, I desire besides you just give me Jesus And that's where we're going to end today. We are, Denny, would you turn off the middle, this light here? I, I had asked the, the worship team to do a particular song in closing, and I, at the last minute, changed it to a song that I, I just want you to listen to and let God speak to your heart. If you have been, if you, if you have been putting anything above Jesus or even next to him in importance in your life that you would the prayer of your heart might be give me Jesus you can, you can have the whole world but give me Jesus and as, as we go through this song you can sing along if you want you can make this the prayer of your heart if you would like I would love that if you did that. Or you, you can just bow in silence and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Just to say, give me Jesus. In the morning when I rise in the morning when I rise In the morning 
you.